Welcome to the RSV Podcast. This Parsha's Bo, Tavshin Pei Gimel, this week's podcast on not living in a small fireproof room is dedicated in memory of Blanche Janowski. She was such an inspiration to so many people, including me. Sponsorships of podcasts and of our Friday morning Zoom Sheer are 180 US, 200 Canadian, with both US and Canadian receipts available. On to our Parsha. We all know that the mitzvahs of our parsha, which are essentially the mitzvahs of the Seder, are double entendres. Those mitzvahs, matzah, carbon pesach, wine, have two components, two meanings, two contradictory meanings. And let's look at them one by one. Matzah is probably the most well-known. Matzah is really a historic double entendre. Matzah is clearly about slavery. There's endless discussion about that. Halach ma'anya. What does halach ma'anya mean? We call it halach ma'anya. It means poor bread. It means poor man's bread. Sforna, famous Sforna, who says that the bread that we ate in Egypt, lechem shayachlem ba'oni, the bread that we ate in Egypt was eaten in poverty. And what was that poverty? We didn't have time to go ahead and bake bread. You need time, lots of time to let it rise. When you don't have time, you're in a rush because you're being rushed out to slave labor. You eat matzah. Cheskuni, a little bit different, he says that to allow bread to rise, you need material, you need special utensils, you might need to add yeast. But matzah's simple, no extra ingredients, no special utensils. Lechem oni. Matzah certainly evokes slavery, reminds us of slavery. But matzah is also about freedom. And why is matzah about freedom? Well, that's the redemption. What does the Pasuk tell us? You don't have to travel far. It's the Pasuk itself. Vayofa sabatzik, they baked the dough that they prepared. Ugos matzos, they baked matzos. Kilo chametz, they didn't have a chance to allow it to rise to become chametz. So clearly it evokes freedom. That's physical freedom. But it also evokes spiritual freedom, emotional freedom. That's the Zohar. Nehameyelah, this holy bread, this celestial bread. Reb Tzadik, you're free from the Yitzhahara. You don't allow pomposity. You don't allow your ego to rise. You don't bloat. You don't gloat. You're not self-centered. You're nech You're quiet. You're humble. You're satisfied with what you have. So matzah then is a double entendre. It evokes slavery and it evokes freedom. Both spiritual slavery and physical slavery. Both spiritual freedom and physical freedom. It's not just matzah though, it's also wine. Wine is also a double entendre, it also has double meanings. Wine, surprisingly enough, is also about slavery. It's really the Gemara. The Gemara talks about the charosis that we make to this very day. And it tells us that although you had many good sweet fruits, tzarech lekuchuyei, you have to make it a little bit bitter. Why? So the gears we have in the Gemara is Zecher L'Tapuach. But check, check the Bach. The Bach says Zecher L'Mar, to remind ourselves of bitterness. And how do we make this Kuchuye? How do we go ahead and add some acidity, some bitterness, something sour or sad or negative to our chorosis? We do that by adding wine. There's something negative there. And it's not just the esoterica of charosis. It's something simpler and more direct. 
It's the actual cups of wine that we drink. Do we lean when we drink wine, or do we not? It's not simple. We do now. But the Gemara Psachim tells us that there are strong indications that you don't need to lean. And we go back and forth. And so the Gemara tells us in the end, the first two you don't lean, the last two you do lean. Well, why shouldn't you lean? Um, why you lean at the Seder? The Seder is malchus and it's freedom and it's royalty and it's wonderful things. Why shouldn't you lean? So the Gemara tells us, at least by the first two cups, we were still slaves, we don't lean. Well, there's something interesting here. Wine really evokes slavery. It's the acidic component to the charosis that evokes slavery. At least for the two cups, you don't lean. Maybe we do now, but there are opinions that you don't lean. And so there's something negative. It does evoke slavery. And again, maybe it should evoke slavery. There's something tart and acidic about it. But at the very same time, of course, the last two cups, and all of our cups now, we lean. And wine is sweet, and wine is intoxicating, and wine is positive. Wine also has a double meaning. It evokes slavery, and it evokes freedom. Mats evokes slavery, and mats evokes freedom. And interestingly enough, these are the bookends. You have wine and matz at the beginning, you have wine and matz at the end, wine in the cups, matz in the afikomen. But what's the central point of the Seder? What's its focal point? What really is its raison d'etre? That's carbon Pesach. We don't have carbon Pesach now, but we will, Amir Sashem, soon. What does carbon Pesach evoke? So in our minds, it's all positive. It's the carbon that we brought as a mitzvah, it's the carbon that gave us the blood that we painted on our doorpost that saved us. It's the carbon that gave us the schus of doing mitzvos, the psikta that tells us, mitzvos. we had no mitzvos. How are we going to be redeemed? Except for the shtei mitzvos, dam Pesach, dam Mila. The blood of Pesach and the blood of Mila. Carbon Pesach is positive. But not only, it's also a double entendre. There's also something negative about it, something preventative, something prophylactic. And it's a mechilta. Mechilta tells us, and it's the Pasuk. Mishchu, go ahead and stretch out your hands and take carbon Pesach. That Mishchu is extra. What does the mechilta say? Mishchu Go ahead and pull your hand away from Avaydazara and pull it towards carbon Pesach. Sure, the carbon Pesach is positive. But at the very same time, in a certain sense, it's negative. It evokes the fact that we worship the Vodazara. It evokes the fact that we had to withdraw from Avodazara. And so you have that duality there. And so everything at the Seder is a duality. Matzah is both negative and positive. Wine is both negative and positive. Karben Pesach is both negative and positive. And interestingly enough, Mar is as well. We're accustomed to viewing Mara as something bad. Vayamara was chayim. It's bitter. It reminds us of the bitterness. And that's certainly the dominant approach. But there is an iconoclastic Ibn Ezra who says something so sensible. He says, when you sit down to a special meal, you of course have your meat. You have your carbohydrates. But you have your relish. You have your vegetables with it. That's what Mara is. 
It's part of a dignified full meal. It's also a double entendre. Also two meanings. And so it makes sense, and it's something that on some level we're accustomed to hearing, because the Seder is a move from bad to good. We were slaves, that's how the Seder starts. We were in Egypt, that's how the Seder starts. We were idol worshippers, that's how the Seder starts. And we gradually grew out of that, we gradually grew away from that, we gradually grew better. We view it as a progression. Matzah at the beginning evoking slavery, towards matzah at the end evoking freedom. Wine at the beginning evoking slavery, towards wine at the end evoking freedom. Carbon Pesach, at least when we approach it evoking slavery, carbon Pesach evoking freedom. But maybe it's not as simple as that. Maybe it isn't really lin- linear. Maybe it's really more dialectical. Maybe it's a back and forth. And how is it a back and forth? Well, look at this. The wine at the beginning of the Seder, sure, initially the Gemara brings down that we might then have to lean, but we do. And sure, that wine is tart, but it's also sweet. That wine at the beginning evokes both the negative and the positive. And the wine at the end, it evokes the positive, but also the negative. It's sweet, but it's still tart. We lean, but it's still tart. And that's true for matz as well. It has both components at the beginning, and it has both components at the end. And it touches upon a simple idea that is so relevant to our generation. And that idea is, is that good is sometimes bad. Bad is also good. What do I mean when I say good is bad? So let me share an interesting article in Psychology Today, and it talks about affluence. And the article writes, in a surprising switch, the offspring of the affluent are more distressed than other youth. They show higher rates of substance abuse, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, cheating, stealing, than the population at large. There's a greater capacity to hurt oneself when one is especially blessed. And it's not just to hurt oneself, it's also to hurt another person. That same article notes that these affluent children, affluent boys at elite private schools, are more likely to display narcissistic tendencies twice as much as the population as a whole. Twice the average. So interesting. There's a lot of good, but that good can go ahead and bring out bad. It can create a self-centeredness. It can create narcissism. It can create ennui. It can create all sorts of terrible things. Good can be bad. But interestingly enough, bad can be good. How can bad be good? We know the phrases, the blessing of a skin knee, a person has a challenge, a difficulty, that can strengthen him. The gift of failure, there's a wonderful line Schopenhauer uses. He talks about the challenges of living in a small fireproof room. What does that mean? It means that when you have no adversity and you're cassetted, and everything is taken care of, and there are no challenges. You become spoiled, and when you become spoiled, you become weak. And so, good blessing can be bad, it can create challenge. Bad can be good. Challenges can go ahead and bring out strengths, inner strengths that we would have never accessed. And this goes back to the Seder. We're used to viewing it as a linear progression. We start with the bad, and we move towards the good. 
And certainly there's truth in that. But perhaps it's not just linear. Perhaps it's a dialectic. Perhaps it's back and forth. There's good at the beginning, but the good is bad. There's bad at the beginning, but the bad is good. There's good at the end, but the good is bad. There's bad at the end, but the bad is good. The story of the Seder, but it's also the story of life. Because in every life, there's a lot of good. We have to be careful that good can create bad. And every life has a fair share of bad. We have to recognize that that bad can create good. It's about failure. It's about how we guide our children. It's about how we guide ourselves. No one searches out failure. No one wants to fail. But failure does come our way. If it does, let us remind ourselves that failure can be a gift. Failure can pull us out of small fireproof rooms, and that can make us so much better. It's a message for our children. It's a message for us. Good Shabbos until we meet again next week.